0: you know please don't make me repeat what i texted (laughs) please edit this out mark this time down
1: welcome to this episode of the prestige ish media podcast in this episode we will be covering true detective season three episode one the great war and modern memory Please note this episode may contain spoilers of the first and second season of True Detective and through episode two of season three. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige Ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at JoblessDogMom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons one through three on the way to the season four premiere January 14th on HBO, which we will also be covering. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. <laughs> Welcome to the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. I am your host, Craig Lake, and I am with Jessica Z and Dan McNair. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing beautiful.
0: I'm doing just as beautiful. Reporting from Florida. That's nicer than New York Bradenton, right now.
1: In Florida,
2: specifically. Stop
0: doing that. It's like 45 <laughs> minutes from there.
2: It's nice this elaborate prestige, Prestige-ish Media empire could send you on location.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. He's good like that.
2: Any it's big holiday
1: plans for either of you?
0: Nothing wrong with Brayden 10.
1: Are you drinking at the bars tonight, Jessica? With your kids?
0: No, I'm not.
1: Um, I thought I'm not even drinking with, with my dad. Like, bummer. My dad got tossed from the Christmas bar a couple nights ago. I got to witness. Oh! <laughs> so that your was your dad
0: didn't just beat them up.
1: Episode one of True Detective Season Three. The Great War in Modern Memory. Dan, how do you feel about this title? I feel like we're at least in the ballpark of a freaking title that makes sense. Do you agree?
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, it seems at least relevant, close to it. Not any great Easter eggs or secrets or anything like that, but it seems to set up this season pretty well written by nick pizzolato again
1: i was surprised i was unsure of how involved he was in the season after season two but they did give him the reins again the first episode was directed by jeremy Saulnier. nothing really great in my opinion that stands out of what he's done as a director at least the green room and hold the dark i think green room was about the only one i recognized.
0: green room was crazy that's a really good movie
1: Yes, so he did do that one. What did you guys rank episode one of season three? Jessica, Dan.
2: So for me, <laughs> Six I was... for
1: Jessica. Okay, go I ahead. was
2: very <laughs> pleasantly surprised. I gave it a 7.7. 7. And in the past, we've talked about expectations coming in and things like that. And a lot of times, what will fill my expectations um, is who's in the cast. And uh, the... Acting performance of Masharala Ali, I hope I'm not butchering that, really blew close. me away. Marsha Shala, I think, maybe. Maybe we should More all close. take a stab at Mr. <laughs> Ali really blew me away. And then I was happily surprised to see Stephen Dorff. I don't know if you guys have seen him in anything else, but he's kind of like a indie movie rock god for us independent film fans of the 90s.
0: And he's playing his um, partner?
2: Yes. So, not as sexy as a Matthew McGonaghy or even a Colin I Farrell. I was
0: just about to say the same,
2: <laughs> but
1: a cool dude. Wait, wait till she sees him older and then we'll just see how she feels. Maybe. Uh, is, he, yeah, maybe around. if he
0: gets a little more disheveled or something <laughs> bad happens to him. Because didn't the dad start getting just more attractive throughout the show? That's good. That's <laughs>
2: So are that you goes a, for every show, according to
1: Jessica Z. <laughs> so are you a five or a six, Jessica, on this episode?
0: I thought they did like really well with creating like an eerie feel. And I've, I really liked that.
1: I've got it at a nine for me. I think it borrows some themes for the first season, but that makes me feel more comfortable with the show. Like it's different enough that it's different, but I think it kind of perfected some of the things in season one. Like I just feel like it's better made. Like I'm not saying it's better than season one or that this episode's better than any episode. I just think it's very polished. You can
2: tell they're on their third season of the show. Is I guess I did what want I want to say ask that. you, and I think this is the best first episode of the three seasons we've seen but i wanted to ask what your take was to so the casual listener you're probably the most well schooled true detective fan and season 1 came out 2014 season 2 came out 2015 and then you had to wait 4 years for this season so i'm curious when you were first watching it like what your anticipation was after you know kind of buying into the whole franchise season 1 and then having what could be a season two letdown you watched it in 2019 correct yeah i watched it live and this is the
1: one that i actually watched every episode live week by week it was the first one that i was like regularly listening to podcasts on so i mean i was in this season i guess season one i was listening to but i was just kind of casually listening to the end and then kind of binged it all at once yeah i think my expectations were lower than they were for season two But I just kind of went into it with an open mind. But I I guess I would say I wasn't that excited. And I would say I'm kind of that way about season four. I'm excited that we're doing as a podcast together. I'm excited Mm -hmm. to cover a weekly show and not three episodes at once. (laughs) You know, these are all things that are fun. Like I have some familiarity with the actor or actresses in the show. But it's not like I'm like super like excited like I was, say, for a season two of Yellow Jackets or even only Murders in the Building, I would say I was more excited for. So I think anytime you get a show where you don't know what you're getting, because every season's different, I think for me, that tempers down the anticipation a little bit.
2: And for me a lot, not really knowing the actors going into season three compared to some really big names in season one or two. I was kind of thinking how attached am I gonna be not knowing and having touchstones going into it, but the acting performances in this first episode completely drew me in and made me a fan or more of a fan of both of the main characters and the female protagonist as well that winds up playing Hay's wife. Yeah, and the
1: only other thing all add on that too is I think you see with this, then we get the chemistry of the detectives together really early. And I just felt like we never got that in season two. Like, I would say even at the end when Bezaritas and Ray are like banging, They didn't feel as close to me as the detectives in this show do. Like those partners just never gelled for me on screen. And this is much more similar to the camaraderie between detectives in season two and just the chemistry between the actors, I feel like. How did you feel about the detectives as a team in this episode or season so far, Jessica?
0: I like them. They seem to have mutual respect for each other and trust with each other right off the bat you can just tell that they've been working together for a while
1: yeah and i guess it's in some ways not fair to the detectives in the last show because they were pieced together but it just felt pieced together even as oh
0: absolutely like from start to finish
1: all right so the intro song here is death letter by cassandra wilson where do you guys rate this in your intro ranking seasons one through three
0: this is the second best dan I'd say
2: second best because I didn't really like the first one. I do have a question though. This is performed by T Bone Burnett, who performed the season two one. He didn't perform the season one song, did he? I'm just I'm, question- from- I'm questioning the song just because I had Death Letter by oh. Cassandra Wilson in the opening credits. I thought they they used his name, so maybe he wrote the song. But I know oh, okay. T Bone
1: Burnett appears. He- I mean, he might be like the musical. Der-
2: I'm just asking director of the show, let me see, hang on. Okay, I actually had it that he had performed, I know he performed the oh, season.
0: Wait. no, he song. was part of the first one, right?
2: I thought the, I'm trying to remember the first yeah. season song, which I kind of toned out, but I thought it was like a more country white guy kind of.
1: Yeah, I've got this as Death Letter is by Cassandra not? Wilson, I'm pretty
2: confident. T-Bone is okay. a white
0: guy.
2: And I just wonder why they give T-Bone a credit in each episode so i thought Yeah, i just I don't know i'm wondering if he's
1: like an at like a like the curator of the of music. music yeah yeah so you rank this one second jessica you rank this second i think i rank it third it doesn't really doesn't really do much for you but to be fair most of their intros don't do much for me it's you know you're sorting out the trash with good old woodard so we open, how did you feel? Because right off the bat, we opened a small town near the woods. I guess we see the kids riding a bike. Then they immediately flash to 2015 old Wayne getting ready. And then we immediately flash to 1990 younger Wayne talking about 10 years prior with the Arkansas State Police. So we're literally a few seconds in and we flash the three timelines and we don't even know where they are. How did you guys feel jumping into this universe that way?
2: I think maybe I'm just getting savvy to the show or maybe the cutting, editing and acting and makeup made it very clear of what timeline we were in. In season one, I was very disoriented. What time are we in now? Where are we? And here I didn't feel that way. And I think it was part of Ali's acting, part of his hair. And maybe just part of this is one of the devices that they use in True Detective a lot. And I've got some experience points under my belt. Now. But it didn't Jessica, bother me. Jessica, how did you feel about the time jumps early?
0: I thought it was, as he said, much more obvious this time of whether we're getting the beginning, middle, or I don't want to say end of life, later, later stages in life. Yeah, it was just way more easy to follow than the last season anyways and the other season because they kind of just made Woody Harrelson look the same age
1: yeah I agree that this was done much better and it was actually almost comforting because it was more similar to the first season
0: yeah it's like back in that crime drama instead of trying to be like I guess I don't know how to say it suspenseful but the season two tried to be like sort of action thriller thing instead of a suspense thriller
1: like I said, I mean, I felt like season two was more of a procedural than a true crime. And it was more, like you said, action-oriented, or it was like more of a, I guess more of a big level world of crime versus focusing on a specific crime. And so once again, that's for some people. I like the true crime stuff more, and we're certainly back in true yeah. crime territory here. So in the 1990s scene, We hear him right away say, of course I remember. 10 years is nothing. One of the detectives, I I, I don't know, sometimes I'm going to call them detectives, but I think one's a prosecutor and one's the attorney for the defendant who's trying to get his sentence removed. But he says, we can't know. We don't remember what we don't remember. He brings his case file, which I think he's leaning on a little bit. And the two detectives say they need to go through the Purcell case. He asks if they want to overturn the conviction. And then they say to him, you're having memory problems, right? So we pretty much know right away that we've got memory issues here. Is that
2: what you were registering right away, Dan? And just the modern memory clue in the title. And then yes, we're presented with Hayes as, again, we've got a detective that's maybe an unreliable source, the way that Rust was kind of weird. The way that everybody in season two had drinking problems and parent challenges and all sorts of vices. So, yeah, we're presented with a detective that we want to like, but definitely has some demons right off the bat.
1: So we get old Wayne with recorder. It's May 20th, 2015. So that's how we orient that time frame. And that is the other thing I will say, even though I did mention dates, it took me, you know, 20 minutes in the episode to place the dates based on the context clues they give later. But we do clearly get here. He says it's May 20th, 2015. Um, Henry is coming with people from the TV. Remember why you're talking to to them, figure out how much they know. Look at your pictures, take notes. Remember the nightstand, which appeared to be a gun in the nightstand. Henry is his son. He asks and says they're all ready when he is ready. And then we go back to 1990, where they say they think it's a strong case for the overturn. And they ask him to tell them about November 7th, 1980. So now in the 1980 timeline, Jessica and I were texting a little bit. And I think that she thinks about this more than I do. So I'm going to ask her first jessica when we're seeing these different timelines are you thinking it's him telling them the story the actual story the case file when we're hearing these time frames what who do you think's telling the story or how we're hearing it
0: oh i'm not really sure about that one i was just saying like when they were initially taking the case i feel they like only you only ca- have to go by what statements they've been given they weren't there to see what happened right
1: yeah so I mean I felt like you were maybe saying that that Wayne was telling the story based on his memory and so everything maybe could be a little inaccurate because of his memory Was is or did you kind of did that thought I did not change even
0: I didn't even think that far now <laughs> okay. you're thinking it you know you're <laughs> thinking way more into it than I did
1: so I um. kind of take most of our flashback scenes as just kind of an, an amalgam of all the different whether it's him telling the story in any of the three timelines, the case file, like I would say that the whole show is probably a stack of unreliable narrators. And I think that's kind of a true detective theme is unreliable narrators probably, but I just take it at the face value kind of of what they're showing. Did you have any
2: opinion on that, Dan? That's an interesting wrinkle because as I'm watching what unfolded in 1980, you're seeing things that Hayes couldn't have seen he couldn't have seen who the kids pass by on their bikes now he did interview a lot of people and maybe that's him filling in the blanks with his own memory but there's things that we see that i don't think Hayes necessarily could have had that perspective of so from a lot from of looking at it
0: was from statements though like the kids with the firecrackers and yeah just the bikes and everything and
1: I do on Um, my end wonder how much is coming from the books, how much is coming from the files and how much is coming from his actual memory in both timelines, because he's already got not the 1980 timeline, but the 90 and 2015. He's already established some memory issues and he's, you know, they don't really overplay it, but he's definitely like that case file is what's leading him through his conversation with them. So I don't think there's a real answer and certainly not early, but I just thought it was an interesting concept to be aware of early that anytime you're dealing with one of your main characters who has severe men- memory issues, we've got, you know, maybe the most unreliable narrator we've had in a true detective yeah. season so far. The kids tell their dad they're going to go see Ronnie's dog. They'll He says, be home by 5.30 when the sun's come down. Will is the boy. Julie is the sister. Will has his backpack. First they pass, four kids playing, one waves. I almost think that's that might be that Mike kid, but I didn't note it at the time because I wasn't looking for him. They allegedly left the house at four per multiple statements. We definitely get a big cut in of the three teams and the purple bit bug that load up and see them later. They pass one of the ladies in her on her porch with a pumpkin waving so we get another halloween call out for you dan like last season i think yeah but it's also i guess november 7th i certainly am not gonna shame anyone for taking halloween decor- decorations down late as i have a frankenstein up in my yard year round we see some of the kids in the woods playing with fireworks we see now i think that's woodard is the name of the guy that is the trash man he is Native American too, right? Is that a bad yeah. read or am I crazy?
0: His last name's like Gray Eyes or something. So yeah, definitely. And I re- he's the only one I recognize, the only actor I recognize this whole time. Really? From Fear the Walking Dead.
1: Oh okay. okay. I have not seen that, but that's if, a good if you call really out. have
0: nothing else going on, then you could watch <laughs> it.
1: Before or after Freaky Friday, which do you recommend first?
0: First of all, it's just freaky. called Freaky. It's and... Freaky, Craig. It's just Freaky. And I definitely watch that. Yeah, the, watch that twice before you watch Fear the Walking Dead.
1: Or you'll die. They also, this is where we see them actually pass the teens. At the time, Wayne was with his partner, Roland West, played by Stephen Dorf. Past Stan's point, I mean, he's been in Blade, Public Enemies, but he's been in just a ton of different stuff.
2: As a college kid, SFW, which I don't know if it holds up, was a great movie, and Cecil B. Demented is a fun watch too. Kind of a campy John Waters avant-garde movie. I really that was probably like his most out there role. And- I honestly like, I know him and I know
1: seeing him, but like, for me to place a role, probably even outside Blade would have been difficult for me to do. I do also want to say this sometimes there's like bad wigs and sometimes there's bad good wigs. (laughs) I think he has a bad good wig. Like, I like it, it plays well. Or a good
0: bad wig.
1: Yeah, something like that. I'm no, yeah, all of
2: Hayes's different looks are very believable. All of his are like maybe a, a a little degree tweet characterization of the time frame that he lives in and the age that he's supposed to be.
0: I may have not and noticed same... it if we saw him in different timelines.
2: <laughs> Up until episode two, we have only
1: seen him in one timeline.
0: Okay. Oh, oh <laughs> would... I've seen episode two. He was in a different... I've only
1: seen episode two. No different timelines in the first two that I'm aware of. But...
0: Okay.
2: I was also going to say the dad's mustache is also kind of in that hokey hairpiece category for me.
1: It, but none of it takes me out of it. Like all of it is just kind of like funny and of the time. I don't mind any of it. Yeah. Might, yeah. It's a
2: decent throwback.
1: So they talk about how Steve McQueen died today. They're drinking and shooting stuff in the yard. Roland suggests they go to Miss Minnie's, which I think is a strip club. Wayne says he can't pay or he can't pay for it or doesn't like to. Roland says that it's more honest than most relationships. I think he says you're going to pay for it either way. Roland says he's a feminist. If they want to sell him a (laughs) piece of ass, they have the right. And that's when he says you're going to pay for it one way or another he says you see yourself getting married purple so this is one of the first call outs we get to his nickname which is purple haze he says no sir i'm not a big enough asshole to put a woman and children through that so i think we see early on he's not really he doesn't think he's a good candidate
2: for marriage i also wanted to ask if you guys take any extra meaning from the day steve mcqueen died as two people that were not alive yet, we don't. But Dan, as our uh, resident historian,
1: can you tell us something about it? Well, that's a nice word for old guy. <laughs>
2: I, I don't. Are you know... telling me he
0: was not an animated car?
2: Oh, that's good. oh, good <laughs> pull. So Steve McQueen. Then this is before my time. I wasn't a Steve McQueen fan, but he was kind of a '70s John Wayne, a cop. He was in action movies like Bullet. Or the type of Dirty hairy type things that you would expect of that era. And it seems like with a lot of these characters, like these are former war guys. And these are probably some of, as I progress through the season, the most well-rounded out, developed characters that we've seen as detectives. And they're kind of like clashing worlds where they're not at war. You know, they've lived through the Great War and they've come back home and tried to acclimate. And all of this, like, macho, bravado, John Wayne, Steve McQueen stuff is now shifting into 80s sensibilities and, you know, being able to talk and have a family. And we see Hayes at his last moment saying, I'm not going to get married. And then the next day he meets the woman who's going to be his wife. And so to me, the day that Steve McQueen died is kind of like the day that this macho wild animal is now like dying and having to evolve into something else.
1: That's so, actually a really good call out, Dan. I like what you did there. Jessica has had some very fun moments on the podcast. Known, you know, Star Wars fan, various other things. <laughs> when did Freddie Mercury die? Do he you he's know? Still
0: alive.
2: With Elvis,
0: is he the one who had AIDS? Yes.
2: yes, he's um, probably
0: dead. Yeah, I want to say
2: like ninety one. He died.
0: I was gonna
2: say eighty so, three. I had pieced
1: together Steve McQueen and in my head had connected him with Freddie Mercury because of
2: Queen. But I know that Sheryl
0: Crow like, has I'm, a song and she uses Steve McQueen's name in it. And um, she
2: also did the soundtrack for Cars with Lightning McQueen. Oh, did she? No. She did the first title song in the first movie. I, I guess it, not oh, yeah. the whole and song.
1: I watch it now. One of the cars the died of AIDS. So we've covered <laughs> all Wait, of them. Really? Our... No. <laughs> no. We've covered all our bases today. It had an
2: unprotected Um, transmission. I don't think you could say that anymore.
0: Did someone dump dirty oil into that engine?
1: (laughs) Your mom. Whoa!
0: uh, Doesn't dump oil that hangs.
1: Roland points a gun at a fox. Purple hits kind of his gun away. As I know, Dan likes the podcast research. I did some on what it means if you see a fox. There were some varying things that I found. It wasn't like super clean cut, but here were some things I did find. The fox can be a protective spirit guide. It's sometimes associated with magic and dreams in certain cultures. Sometimes it represents wisdom, trickery, or resilience. Seeing a single fox is regarded by some as good luck while seeing a family of foxes is generally brings bad
2: luck okay there
1: is all your fox research
2: thank you for me what it means is i'm gonna have a whole a new hole in my front bumper but that's <laughs> have you ever hit a fox yes i did oh okay. and the next obvious question is what did the fox say nothing
0: i bet <laughs> driving um... a go-kart <laughs> <laughs> i've pulled over thinking I was with my boyfriend at the time and he was like that was a dog that just ran in front of us and I was like are you sure and he goes it had a collar that was like shining and so I said yeah pull over I'll go get it and so I'm in the bushes I grabbed one of my dog's treats from the car and I'm like come on you know come on get my car it's like blizzard out I'm like come on trying to look for it in these bushes before it gets too wooded And it was a fox, long story short. There was no collar. It was its eyes that were reflecting. Was it dead? Nope, it was alive.
1: Oh, you didn't hit it. You just, he wanted you to get the dog that ran ran in
0: in front of us. So like, I was like, let's get the dog out of the snowstorm.
1: How did you call it again? Just trying to get more for when I put that at the (laughs) beginning of the episode. Because for sure.
2: (laughs) I think we've already got some some bangers. bangers.
1: They want to go driving around. Roland says, maybe we can find somebody to beat the shit out of. Wayne says, boy, that'd be nice. We see the Purcell dad. He's still working on that car. Who knows what he was doing this whole time? Probably trying to get the dirty transmission oil out of there (laughs) that his wife left in there. Kids are gone. I did note he's burning a real cig, not an e-cig. No robot dicks for Papa Purcell. First, he calls Ronnie's house. Kids are not there. They told him that they could see a new puppy, but he didn't say today. The dad is driving around. Kids are still lighting fireworks. The teens from the bug are out there. It looked like the teens were probably on the kids' bikes. Did you guys catch that or no? The teens were on bikes, but I was not positive they were the kids' bikes or not.
0: I assumed that they were.
1: Okay. At yeah, this that's point, I, I couldn't tell for sure. We see the Native American guy on the road in the dark now. So that's his second, second call out. Roland and Wayne were talking about boar tracking. Wayne talks about how he likes a loving level playing field, except with rats. He hates rats. Me and Jessica, both as well. How many rats make Wayne Hayes? He only hunts deer with a bow, never with a stand, never with date. And then this is when they get the missing person called into them. So... We see the setup of the crime with the kids missing. How did you feel about the premise
2: of this crime setting up, Dan? I was curious. I don't want to jump past just the relationship dynamic that's going on here between Hayes and Stephen Dorf. His Moment name is West. Yeah. Okay. Because West is kind of giving me Marty 2.0 vibes early on. He's got his Miller high life and, you know, he wants to go to the whorehouse and things like that. So I thought there was a little bit of a parallel there, but I love the way through this series, one consistent consistent theme seems to be like the varying ethics of the detectives. And I really see it play out with Hayes with this food chain of the animals and what's a fair fight in that. We got rats, foxes, boar, deer. And so he's almost like, very clinical in what's right and what's wrong. And I think that sets up this character really well. As far as what, I've got an early guess who the murderer is this far in in episode one, when you're talking about the
1: crime scene. Let me do two things here. First, I just want to comment on what you're saying, which is, I think it's kind of common with True Detective so far, if I was looking for themes or themes of a writer, is these different detectives' code of ethics, and they yeah. all kind of have their own code of ethics. Totally. And Wayne seems to be similar to Russ in some ways, but he's much more clear. Where I think Russ had codes, but we weren't exactly sure what they were. I think Russ yeah. was sure, but we as the audience weren't sure. And Wayne I think just to what
2: Wayne just can't remember them.
1: Yeah. But I think <laughs> to what you're saying, this show is showing us better, like a clear pattern of some of his code. I would say I don't think to this point, and only coming through season two right now, or through episode two right now, I haven't seen a lot from Roland West that's that bad. I think there's cop bad. I mean, there's, I guess it's all relative. If I had just seen this season and was like rating these cops and what they're doing, what they're saying, I'd be like, there's some questionable behavior here. But after what we've seen in season two and season one, like these are choir boys compared to what I feel like we've seen so far. How do you feel about Roland and Wayne compared to Rust and Marty as far as, like, ethics go so far, Jessica?
0: I was sensing a bit of a Marty in The One Guy, but Hayes seems to be a little more, like, on the straight and narrow than Rust was, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda well, I would say,
1: I just feel like Roland's a little straighter of an arrow than Marty was, but I could uh, understand. I mean, they both kind of have similar demeanors and stuff like I that. I feel like
0: we, like looking back, other than seeing him use his badge to like, intimidate his wife and girlfriend,
1: we're talking about Marty.
0: Yeah, we didn't really see so him that much, like, you
1: guys crucified police for work episodes. We didn't really one? see him
0: do much police work at all.
1: Oh, police work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in the later season, he kind of redeems himself with in, in the newer timeline. He okay. drove that
0: car that one time. You're right.
1: So now that we got here,
2: who's your early suspect as the killer, Dan? Through, through okay, episode so one or two. I'm going to assume you and the listeners are familiar with Stranger Things. Yes. We've got the 1980s. Yep. We've got missing kids. We've got them riding bikes. <laughs> and we've got a Dungeons and Dragons book on good old will's bed right now i'm calling it the killer is the demogorgon i will say this we also have a main character named will
1: yeah yeah. Oh, yeah i if i had to go through episode two i would be going with i mean it's probably too obvious but obviously the cousin seems super fishy right jessica who do you got through two episodes? yeah he
0: seemed like scummy
1: yeah. I mean, it's too obvious. I don't know that they would have revealed who it is yet, but that's that would be my early guess, probably. What
2: about your Fear of the Walking Dead guy?
0: No. When we saw him grab that bag, I was like, was that a child? But I don't think I can... I don't know if I remember the season at all. I don't want to guess.
2: Yeah, I don't want to guess.
0: Do I don't want to throw anything out there. I'm okay, able... so you
2: have seen the season, though, Jessica, then. Craig uh, if you a... want
0: to read my text you may but uh, if you would like to keep it secret we can not all of them
2: the
1: ones you just sent me or when
0: no like the ones from yesterday when I was just
1: spitballing some of your ideas okay let's I think um, I was
0: texting you and not give making notes let's some of Jessica's
1: early episode
2: one thoughts the Jessica conspiracy corner is always a good part of
1: yeah that's podcast. what I was hoping for but we'll have to fish we'll just do some Jessica text corner so Your mom said the kids were styled more like the 70s than the 80s. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dan? Or do you want to address that, Jessica? Mm -hmm. The clothing conspiracy? Uh, That I told
0: her that the cops were just working off the dad's description. So, of course, it wasn't probably accurate.
2: (laughs) Did you think it looked more 80s or 70s, Dan? I think if you're a poor family living in Arkansas and it's November of 1980, you have early 70s. Your clothes are from the 70s. She was
0: was, mostly she was talking about like the girls and boys' hair. Yeah, but they're at least six years behind The dad was on Arkansas. The dad was on point. But I had a no, I get what you're saying. They were probably behind on trends. Episode one, I don't have I just don't think the guy with all the not a garbage picker. What do you call him?
2: He's got the go kart and the scrapper. This Mad Max the scrapper.
0: There's just no. You can't move all that scrap without people noticing.
2: That seems like an obvious red herring early on because you see him so much that it's not subtle like the. And he had witnesses everywhere kids.
0: he went. His car's slow. Yeah, or, I that is I never really thing.
1: fully I never really bought into the trash man being a real suspect. I mean, he's definitely like an early season only murder suspect. I would say I don't even know if I believe the cousin did it, but I mean, the peephole's got to be the cousin more than likely, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. And so, re- regardless, the cousin should committed crimes, which crimes I guess we'll find out. So roland and wayne showed up at the crime scene old wayne is doing the true crime documentary interview he says there's a big full moon that night now i have a question on this because of the title of his wife's book yes which is i'd have to go through my notes can you place it right away dan it's like the moon and
2: life and death and the harvest moon
1: yeah. So I'm wondering if he really remembers that moon or if he's getting that. Oh. So just one thought I had going through it. So they kind of start going through the timeline. We've already gone through with the dad in the 1990 Tom timeline, the prosecutor and the uh, defense attorney, I guess, said it never occurred to you that the dad might be lying. They said, of course it did general rule, or I guess this is Wayne said, of course it did general rules. Everybody's lying. But first impression, he thought he was telling the truth. So did you guys both believe the
2: dad throughout the process for the most part? I really like the way they set it up because he said, like, when did you stop believing that? And he says 10 seconds later and we see mom come in. Well, that was on specifically like they had when they start going through the
1: house and stuff like that. They had thought that it might have been the mom leaving the dad.
2: Um, I believe
0: the dad. I thought... Because it showed him out looking for them. But I guess he could have just said that he was. But I don't know. He seemed like, why harp on the be home at 530? Like, why even care if it's just going to do something to him?
1: Yeah. Unless well, he had plans we, to
0: kill them at 530.
1: We don't know. We don't know the what recollection we're actually seeing, you know. But so we find out that when uh, Wayne was deposed in 1990, that's when his wife published the book. He said that his life before that case was before NOM and after NOM, and then now it's before the Purcell case and after, and we're in 2015 and it's come back again. They say the wife's book is considered a literary classic of fic non and he just says she's good at a lot of things. He starts reminiscing and getting emotional, stuff like that. Back in the 1980s timeline, this is when they start asking about the wife. They say she waitresses down at the sawhorse. She's out with her friends. They, I guess the funniest thing about the dad though, is when they want to search the house, like the dad's obviously going to be a suspect and the dad is consistently consistent on the fact that they didn't run away and that they're not going to find anything in the house repeatedly. Not finding anything else in the house is understandable, but he continues to go back to that they didn't run away did that arise any suspicion with you
2: dan or not really i took in the dad character as he was just more ashamed of this relationship with his wife and not really being comfortable having that become like a public thing but now with this matter of the kids being so important he can't hide it or pretend it's okay anymore and he knows it's gonna come out I didn't necessarily see that on a suspicion on him of wrongdoing, but also because we kind of witnessed the scene of them riding away and I took that at face value.
1: So we've got a quote call out. Do you have any notes from this episode, Jessica? I've got one that you should have here for Jessica Impression Corner. So a
0: quote that I missed an important one
1: we'll get there one second so let me
0: check my notes
1: the dad says do what you do what you want flip on the tv grab yourself a beer they start expecting the house it looks like he's been sleeping in the living room he asks if the bedroom is that one you and your wife's and then he says my wife's <laughs> As- <laughs> His wife is the only
0: one I saying. didn't pick up on that but I did just check my notes and it was my notes that I was taking I was not I did not text my theory to you so that thank you
1: that. I really did not think you did and I know you're sitting there like why isn't Craig sharing my theory and I'm looking at your text and I'm like I don't really have anything to share besides
2: pot shots at your husband what do we think of Hayes's wife at this point because through the first episode I couldn't tell if she was dead or divorced or both Um,
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about, like, hotness. Not in the
2: 80s timeline, in the 2015 timeline.
1: I thought they talked about, at a point, and I'm definitely only through episode two, so it's one or two, but I thought they talked about her funeral.
0: I was assuming she was dead because... But it was like a throwaway line. She was, like, 30 in the 80s, I didn't
2: didn't pick up on that. As I'm watching episode one in real time, first off, I'm wondering where the wife is in this. And because he's emotional, I can't tell if that's because she like walked out on him or she passed away. And then also I paused it to read the book jacket as he picks it up off the shelf and we see his son, but there's mention of another kid. Like she has a son and daughter, uh, even though we haven't seen a daughter at this point. So that was kind of a question to me too. It's Rebecca. We
1: see the daughter in episode two. We get the reference to Rebecca in one, and then I think we define who Rebecca is in two, is is kind of how I see that. And, And I think asking about the wife is a valid question, and I still wonder if he has bad information at different times, but there was a throwaway line about her dying I thought and I could be wrong but I do thought I do think they addressed it because otherwise I'd have been consistently asking the question but once again when you're dealing with an unreliable narrator I still am asking the question it's fair to say it could be something else that he doesn't well in
2: this early on I'm wondering we know it's 2015 if the wife had passed away in your mind trying to process everything do you think she passed away in 1990 in 2005 like no clue. I,
1: I don't think has shown us anything for me to take a stab at that. But I mean, okay. certainly she was alive in, in 90 when the book was released. Past that, I really couldn't say. This is where, you know, they start thinking the wife left and took the kids. And this is where they, you know, that's when the Purcells start fighting. The wife comes home, like you we were just alluding to, Dan. The husband says, maybe if you were home and not out looking for Dick, they say, you've been drinking tonight, Miss Purcell. At what point she says... Gee, damn it, he's so stupid. What did you guys think of that initial fight and their interaction together? What did you guys think of
2: Miss Mrs. Purcell?
0: Damn, she hates her husband. I think uh, she hates her
2: life. What, I think which... she's the most cartoony character we've met yet. Like she takes the white trash bar fly and you know, she's not unbelievable, but she's definitely very much in that vein. And it made me feel bad for the husband, too, and the kids. At some point, we've got to watch, what is it, Paradise
1: Lost Together in real time. You can't look it up beforehand. You may know about the case, but you referenced it. It's 90s, not 80s, but you would think that these guys are all cartoon characters, And it's the real deal, Holyfield. So if I had not seen that, it would probably jump out to me more that she's overacting. But having seen that, there's a mom in that show that is a dead fucking ringer. Like she probably watched that for inspiration. And the crime (laughs) takes place in Arkansas. But the mom's definitely over the top. That was my thing. I guess she's really pushing, like she's just really shitting on him, which I don't know if that's to like pass guilt that she feels for not being around or, you know, but yeah, she's over the top for sure. So they find the playboys in Will's room. They do find that scouts handbook, the forest of, or the scouts handbook and the force of Lang on his dresser, which is the advanced D and D book. Do you know anything about that book, Dan? No, I'm not that. It does not exist. So it was made for the show, but I looked it Gary up. Gary has
0: it. a instruction book, like a book on playing Dungeons and Dragons. That I spent forty five dollars on at a freaking garage sale or something. I'm trying to re- keep you safe from the. I
1: may recommend that you don't put that on your son's nightstand. Just you know, foreboding <laughs> omen. You've at least played Dungeons and Dragons, though,
2: right, Dan? With Greg, Greg had to have played. There's so- no. Bucket- world you didn't play the dungeons and dragons timeline was really strongly 80s and it kind of evolved into better games by the time we were sitting down it was more magic the gathering and other okay yeah i do remember
1: that with you guys for sure but magic's more
2: cards right yeah
1: and then dungeons and dragons is stories
2: yeah they'll give you as i understand it kind of like a narrative and different things that pop up and basically you make decisions and roll dice
1: i tried to get a lord of the rings one once when i was like 15 16 but i couldn't even open it and read it but i got it but it's i couldn't do it but i wanted to don't put Um, it on your dog's nightstand (laughs) in the closet this is where they find the peephole so did you guys suspect the dad of the peephole at all at first or because I don't know if we knew about the cousin quite yet. so yeah, no, I
2: don't think we knew about the cousin. I just thought it was the son. And then as soon as in episode two and we meet the cousins, it's like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. There we go. So some of the things we hear, neighbors saw the purple VW. Some of them saw the kids. Trash man keeps coming up. They tell, the dad tells them they've been sleeping separate for six months. And then this is when they mention the cousins staying with them. So that's when I immediately was like in cousin territory. But I think like you at first, I was like, dad or brother, super weird either way. And then I was like, that's kind of where I put
2: the cousin piece together.
1: And just so, on
2: the topic of peepholes, how yes. do people not notice peepholes? If there's a hole in my wall, I don't get it. You think you would notice?
1: So you have no peephole experience, Dan. You've never used a peephole.
2: No, I mean, I guess I could see maybe looking through a keyhole or like a crack in between a door that Uh wasn't edged up right. But an actual hole in the middle of a wall seems very obvious. Do you have any peephole
1: experience? Have you ever had a peephole before?
0: How does it work?
2: I want to know.
0: If you look it up, Henrietta High School like outside of russia is that like where
2: peppa the pig goes
0: no a guy who lived two doors down from me three doors he a was band. a gym teacher and coach there uh-huh. and they found out they found peepholes from his office to the girl's locker room and he had cameras there
1: yeah that's hard times we had a TV. he's doing
0: hard time
1: <laughs> we had it for bumming everybody out <laughs> I haven't had any peephole close calls that I'm aware of, but how do you know? Like you say, wouldn't you see a peephole, you don't know if you haven't seen one. So maybe they're more stealth than you think, Dan. We had our own peephole show on Zoom a few weeks ago.
0: What? <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> so this is where we get the introduction to the wife, Amelia, in the 1990 timeline. She's an English teacher reading Tell Me a Story by Robert Penn Warren,
2: dan do you know anything about this poem no i would i actually have a note like what because i think i want to say they reference it in further episodes i don't know as i'm only covering through episode two but
1: he according to poemanalysis.com the poem is divided into two parts in the first part the speaker shares one of his childhood memories and the next part the speaker asks readers to tell him a story before they can start he de- defines what should be the theme of the tale. It must encompass the theme of distances. In modernity, there is nothing left to be talked about. That's why he tells them to share a story that can rejuvenate his weary mind. It should be a story of delight, not filled with the ravages of modern time. So I don't know a lot, but there's several references to time and mind there. So I think yeah. there's something the to memory thing. for sure. She teaches eighth to twelfth grade English. They want to talk to Freddie Burns. Freddie Burns says they were just hanging out at the Ranger Tower. Did you guys I guess before I go through what was in this, you guys noticed the inconsistency of the stories between the teens. Did you guys catch that?
2: You know, it seemed
1: pretty similar to me to be honest with you. I didn't yeah, so Freddie specifically says that hes they saw them on the bikes. They saw them at 4.15 and that they didn't see him at the park and they left the park at nine or a little after. Then when they talked to the guy in the black Sabbath shirt, he says that he did see them and they were playing at the park. So they caught him there where Freddie's admitting that info. So yeah, and then when they start questioning more moron, that's when he kind of shuts down and stops answering them. So they definitely caught
2: at least one lie there. That's interesting. I didn't think them as viable suspects. So I probably didn't pay very close attention to a lot of their questioning.
1: Yeah, I don't totally know that they're viable, but they definitely have inconsistencies in the stories for sure, outside of the alcohol thing. Wayne asks Amelia about Will. She says he's polite, polite quiet, advanced in English. I um, never saw him get into any trouble. At one point, she says, Yes, sir. I. When he says, you say, sir, I should start looking for my boss. When he leaves her, he calls her. I think he says, yes, ma'am. And then she says, she starts looking for her mother. What did you think of the interplay between them when they first met, Jessica? Did you think there was a romance budding? Any other thoughts on what they talked about?
0: I sense some interest on both her end, mostly, really. She was pretty flirtatious.
2: Dan, it how did open. you read it? Yeah, I thought it was very ironic just that He says he's never going to get married and then poof, instantly he meets this beautiful woman and seemingly they're the only two black people in this little Arkansas town and they're about the same age and they're both like, you know, hot or charismatic or things like that. It seemed like the whole narrative was just steering them together. And then with the future timelines and things like that, your mind makes a leap as as far as how this is all going to play out.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I actually thought she played it pretty cool at first, but probably why I can't read signals from anywhere and ever. But yeah, well, um,
0: I thought her body language was just like very open. She was very like forthright in her conversation with him, and very. But where warm, warm, and at the
1: end, it was definitely obvious where she said he said, "I'll let you know if there's anything else," and then she says, "Please do anything at all." And then that's when he gets her number and he said, I'll be in touch. And then she said, Good as well. And so that's when those were like obvious, more obvious signs. I did think their conversation on some of the racial stuff. I actually enjoyed it in this show because I don't think it was too over the top. It acknowledged some of the negatives, but it also didn't paint it so negative. Like I thought it was a fair representation every of the which time. direction. Yeah, and of any time. Like, I just thought they, they kind of, like, they played it. They didn't play it too one way or the other. They played it honest to what you would think it would be in a town like that.
2: Yeah. Thoughts on that?
0: Fully totally agree.
2: Yeah. Any other things to add, Dan? Or No, I agree with what you said. It seemed to round out and make these characters seem very sincere and comfortable in their own place. They were strong. They weren't victims. They knew what they were dealing with. And they were going to live their life and do what they needed to anyway.
1: So back in the car, we get Roland. They're talking about, do you think they're lying? And they're, just, they're they're like, I know they're lying. Just is it regular teenage lying or something else? And then Roland says, what about the teacher? You're going to come back on her. So once again, really good chemistry building lines, I think, between those two. So they How check out. How did we out find the- out
0: they got married? What's that? How did we find out they got married?
1: I think them Ooh. showing the book yeah. shows Amelia Hayes and with his last name being Hayes. I think
0: uh, that's, the first, okay. that's
1: the first
2: conversation. And she says her name. I thought it was Emilia at first. And I'm like, oh, it's with an A. But she does say her first name. When I heard it too, I
1: thought it was like Amelia and it had Amelia on the screen and I had looked in IMDb, but I didn't quite grab it from words versus closed captioning in IMDb. Uh, So when they mentioned that they checked around that guy's place, Brett Woodard, who we've been calling the trash man, did you think that they were really, his door was going to be open? Or did you think they were going to break into his door? Because in the narrative, they said the door was open. And with what we've seen in True Detective, like I was waiting for when they break into the door, but they show it just being open. In the 1980 timeline, they're in... Brett Woodard's house, looking at a war photo. In the 2015 timeline, he's still doing the interview. I got the impression with him, she thought thought the war memory was a trigger for him to get him out of that interview. I thought it was just more a, he has a shelf life with his memory and once he ends up in that area, he kind of checks out. How were you reading him? Because what we actually see, and I would say this is untrue detective for what we've seen this far, is we see the vision of Wayne in 1980, talking to himself, saying that I'm ready to go now. I don't want to be here. That's 1980s Wayne waking up 2015. Yeah. How did you read that, Dan?
2: I Like, actually, there's a couple of times when you're transitioning from one timeline to another, where there will be like a song or a sound or something that travels across the timeline into the other one. And I just had a note here. There's something in this house that really triggered him. And it's just kind of a question mark. And it's something to put a pin in for a future episode because I have watched a little bit further on and it is really good storytelling that if I didn't write that note, I might have forgotten about it. But when we get further on, there's like a tie-in. here.
1: Yeah, so I would say up What's till the this tie point.
0: In? Did they fight together? Were they in the same unit?
1: Up till this point, I would say that I was just kind of reading it as, I think you see that with people with dimension stuff. Like a lot of times they have a shelf life and then they just kind of start fading out. And this guy's older. I don't know what he has Yeah, but do they
0: know that they're fading out?
1: They just kind of start petering off. And so I think his goal would be is he's like having trouble to kind of get out of there, but Yeah, I don't know. You know, you can tell that he knows he's got an issue because he's, like, laying it out for himself, so I don't know if he wants to get back and write all this stuff down for the next day before he starts to forget
2: stuff. You don't think any of that, I'll just say Hayes is a very unique case, and yes, there is a memory thing here, but he's way too sharp for just normal TV story dementia. And so I don't necessarily think... It's just getting old and forgetting things the way we're present. You think Julie
0: Purcell is robbing pharmacies (laughs) to drug him to hurt his memory, right?
2: Yeah. Pump the brakes. Yeah. I mean, I can only
1: go through episode that I've seen, which is one or two. And so based off of that was my take initially is that he needs to kind of every day tell himself what to remember for the next day, like a momento type deal. And he starts to waver. He needs to get to himself before he gets in the next day and doesn't know what the fuck's going on. That's how I would have read it up till that point. So this is where we do see the Harvest Moon on the shelf. The We see him looking by the Ranger Tower. This is where we kind of hear the the first, I think, reference that he was an LRP or LRP specifically, which is long range Renaissance recognizance patrol deep in enemy territory. They would drop him in the jungle alone. He would come to tooth come back with two to three scalps later. He was a pathfinder. He tracks wild boars for fun. So this is where the search party was kind of like wanting, wondering why he's not going with them. Roland says, if he wants to look alone, I'm okay with it. So down by the wider water, he finds a bike. He finds a stump with a husk doll of sorts. Did the husk doll remind either of you two of the bird traps at all? Yeah. Dan, not really? Not so much for me. I think to me and some fans, I think it was a much more familiar call out, even if it's not an exact yeah, thing. Yeah, just the
0: that's... physical symbol.
1: Yeah. So he sees another one nature. by the cave. Wayne's taking pictures as he goes. It seems to me once he gets to the last doll, he kind of has a feeling of what's coming. And then once he gets in that cave, he sees the body of the boy
2: with his hands in prayer. Thoughts on the crime scene, Dan, and getting to the crime scene. I'm not surprised that Hayes tracked it down and things like that. Yeah, something sick and a little ritualistic has happened here. Where's the sister? You know, that's really my main thought at this point.
1: Yeah, and we see that Wayne is very, he wants to get right back out there. And I think does go right back out there looking for her. What was your thoughts on the body scene and the dolls and all that, Jessica?
0: So I texted you about this and his hands are in the prayer position. Okay would someone have had to go would someone have had to tie them like that for rigor mortis to set in and freeze them that way and then go back to the body to undo undo the tying cuz nothing was holding his hands like that how are they like that shouldn't they just be limp if he's dead
1: you're setting up way too many rigor mortis jokes i feel like but <laughs> uh, yeah i'm unsure i just i didn't really think of how it would have got there i don't really know I don't know how rigor mortis works exactly in
2: this specific instance.
0: What a sad scene. And then to find it alone, it's got to be hard.
2: So in every season, we've had a posed dead body, haven't we? Yes, for sure. Usually in the first episode. Yes, for sure. Okay. I'm just realizing that commonality.
1: I was kind of, my mind kind of went to rust and marty in season one talking about what if the crime was personal or not or like how he talked about that and you know trying to figure out is this you know rich ritualistic or what this was but that was the episode call out that i came to when they were talking about the lady with the crown and that kind of stuff then at this after this scene so were you guys surprised the episode didn't end here Because these are some long episodes once again. Yeah. I thought, so I've watched the season before. I actually watched a few episodes when we were still on season two. And then I rewatched these for notes. And I was still thinking they were going to cut the fucking scene (laughs) there. And we still had a few more minutes left. So this is where we cut back to 2015. And this is where we see the book. And that's where it says, hey. So I think that's where you know for sure that's his wife. And then the son comes in. He seems kind of zoned out back on the scene. The cops are collecting evidence and Hayes is kind of seems focused on continuing to go. Like he's asking him to tag the dolls. He wants to get back out there. They talk about how the kid's head looks injured. So now in the 1990 timeframe, they say, you know, you think we've got the wrong man 10 years ago. Hayes says no shit. This is where we find out Julie's prints were in the system. There was an after hours burglary and someone broke into Walgreens pharmacy and her fingerprints were on it. So they think she's still alive. What did you think of that
2: wrinkle in turn, Dan? I thought that was a pretty good cliffhanger right there. And there's a lot to process in this first episode. But now that we've got some true detective under our belts, there's these three different timelines and you realize okay we know they didn't get it right in the 80s and presumably they didn't fix it in the 90s otherwise we wouldn't be here to this podcast reopening the case kind of thing in 2015 so there's a lot of holes in the middle of the story that i'm racing to kind of fill and we don't get it in a linear fashion but we know from watching the show that in the first two seasons, it never wraps up easily. Somebody takes the fall for it. Everybody goes, okay, well, we're good. And then somebody digs in a little bit later because there's too many things you know, left unopened. And they pretty much just hand that to you in the first episode this time, which is kind of interesting to me.
1: Can I ask one question? Is this show too clever for its own good sometimes? And I asked that in that the depth of these story lo- three storylines is what makes it seem so cool and stuff, but sometimes would two timelines not be simpler? Could you not accomplish some of the same things? I just wonder, I, I know this one goes a little de- deeper, but I, I didn't get the, to this last season, but enough at the end and I regret not saying it. I feel like we could have got, would have rid of Woodrow in the last season and it wouldn't have changed that show at all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Season 3, Episode 1, The Great War and Modern Memory. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestigious Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at real real batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at jobless dog mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017 both on Instagram and X. We hope you will join us for coming episodes as we cover True Detective seasons 1 through 3 on the way to the season 4 premiere January 14th on HBO which we will also be covering. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like, and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. And we hope you will join us for another episode soon.
0: I would be scared. I don't mess with hurricanes. I don't mess with fires. I don't mess with anything.
2: I could show you pictures I've taken from my place here of the raging fire three miles away. She also doesn't mess with Texas.